Hey guys, Michael here with Wedding Videography School. If you're looking for a solid and reliable contract that you can feel good about sending to your clients, look no further than the WVS contract, crafted by a licensed attorney in the state of Colorado. It might just be the best contract for wedding videographers in all of North America, or even maybe the world. Uh, hard to know. Regardless, if you're unsure of whether the contract you're using right now is good enough, go to WeddingVideographySchool.com right now, enter the password podcast, and start protecting yourself and your business today. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, brought to you by WeddingVideographySchool.com, your online resource for building a wedding videography business from start to finish. And now, here's your host, Michael Lee Ring. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the WBS Podcast. My name is Michael. I hope you guys are having a great week and a great season. I know I am. Uh, It's been incredibly busy around here. And as you can tell, I am on the road again. Uh, I've got a little bit of air conditioner noise here in the background and uh, turn signals and people honking at me because I'm recording a podcast while driving. Um, hands-free, though. We're hands-free here. We're uh, using the Tascam DR10L, which is my favorite lav mic. Um, but I can't say that it's uh, all that great of a mic for uh, being in the car and isolating sound and all that stuff. So, um, But yeah, I just it's, it's been really hard to sit down at my desk and record new episodes of this podcast. Um, just because I don't have a lot of time. So there's probably going to be a few more episodes like this where it's just me kind of rambling in my car, uh, which I know isn't ideal. But hopefully you guys will get some good info uh, regardless of where I record these things at. Um, (laughs) It was just funny. As I was leaving my house, I got an email from a, a prospective client who emailed me a while back And this happens all the time where I get an email from somebody who says, hey, I'm interested in hiring a videographer. Can you send me your packages and tell me a little bit more about what you offer, blah, blah, blah. So I do. I send them an email. It's basically the same email that I send uh, everybody. Um, I actually just have an email that I copy and paste, and it saves me a ton of time. That way I'm not writing the same email over and over again. And actually... That would be a great topic for another episode. I have like a ton of different emails that I have saved um, that I just copy and paste. And I even copy uh, and paste the subject lines um, because I I already know that I'm going to get this email over and over and I want to have a response ready to go. That way I don't have to sit there and retype the same responses over and over. Um, so I sent her my, my typical response and she was, she was a good lead. Um, she seemed pretty interested. Um, but we do this thing and I know I'm, I'm probably guilty of it too. So I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. Um, cause I'm sure that I do this in other areas of my life. But, uh, you know, I think what happens is people start realizing when they're booking all that our wedding vendors that like this is going to be a really expensive project right this wedding is a project (laughs) and it's going to cost a bunch of money because and I mean 
it makes sense. You're basically hiring a small army of people to do all this stuff for you. Um, and you know, when, whenever you're hiring a bunch of people, I think it's, I think it's really a newsflash to a lot of people who haven't like run a business or ever employed anybody. It costs a lot to hire, um, a small army to, to help you do everything for your wedding. And so I get these emails all the time where I have a client who's super interested and then I don't hear from them for a month, two months, three months. Sometimes they check in and they say, oh, I'm, I've been busy with work or whatever. And then four months goes by, <laughs> right? Um, and then they finally book me. But it's, it's so funny to me, the excuses that people come up with um, because they're all the same excuses. And the, the most common excuse that I get when people like get in touch with me, but then don't book me for four months is, oh, I just got slammed with this project at work. Right. I get that email so many times that, uh, and I just got it before I was getting into the car. I, I got an email on my phone and it had the same, like, I didn't even read the whole email but I already know what it says because I've seen it so many times. So that, that kind of cracks me up, makes me laugh. I know that people are just buying time. They don't want to admit that like, hey, I'm not like super wealthy, so it's gonna take me a few months to save up, you know, a few thousand dollars uh, to pay you, plus, you know, the few thousand dollars they gotta pay like six other vendors that they're trying to book. Um, so I get it, but it, it's so funny. Um, so for those of you who are getting hot leads and all of a sudden they just kind of drop off your radar and you're like, hey, whatever happened to that person? Um, chances are they, uh, they're probably still thinking about booking you. It's just they're, they're taking some time to save up that money. So anyway, just an observation, not trying to make fun of anybody or anything like that because I'm sure I do that kind of stuff as well in different areas of my life. Um, today I wanted to hop into the podcast and really just kind of answer some questions. Uh, I've realized that, you know, what you guys want out of this podcast after reading some emails that I've gotten is you just want me to answer your questions, right? So if you got a question you want me to answer, send me an email at michael at weddingvideographyschool.com. Uh, and my, you can spell my first name, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, uh, at weddingvideographyschool.com. Shoot me an email with your questions and, uh, I will do my best to answer everybody's questions on this show. I, I got an email a while back from a guy named Charles Lewis. Um, and he was, he had some good questions, um, regarding different things. Um, I asked him, you know, he sent me a question that was really specific to him. So I'm not going to really read that question to you guys. Um, but then I wrote back and asked him if he had any other questions and he did. So, um, they're not really full sentences here, but I will do my best to kind of, um, tackle what I think he wants me to talk about, uh, based on his email here. So one of the things that he wants to talk about is insurance. Um, and it literally just says insurance question mark. So, uh, Charles, I, I appreciate it. I think I know where you're going with this one. 
uh, but next time we'll, we'll have to get some complete sentences from you. Uh, yeah, man. So insurance, you know, I, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I've been getting super into financial planning. I've got a financial planner who I've been working with and he, part of his job is to A, sell me insurance, but B, uh, part of his job is to help me plan. Well, his whole job is to help me plan my financial future. And he's been showing me how insurance can fit into that, um, that, that plan. And for a while, I've kind of been really skeptical about insurance. I mean, insurance typically is something that we pay for for peace of mind. And it hasn't really, at least in my experience, ever really been a critical part of my life. Like, I can't even think of a time where I've ever made an insurance claim. Um, Whenever I was in a car accident, you know, I've been in a couple car accidents, but never one where I actually filed an insurance claim. so I've probably paid for a new car by now and the amount of insurance that I've paid over the years in car insurance and I've never replaced a car, right? So in a lot of ways, you're just kind of paying for peace of mind. But I've been learning that there's all kinds of different kinds of insurance when you're planning for your future. Um, and it's really no different when you get into wedding videography. Um, yes, you want peace of mind, but more importantly, you do want protection from any sort of legal circumstances that might arrive. And so there's three kinds of insurance that I carry. Um, and some of them, if you approach your insurance agent, uh, I have my insurance through, uh, farmers. Um, and if you approach your insurance agent, uh, they can help you get all this stuff figured out and come up with an insurance package for you. Um, but there's three kinds of insurance that you want to look at. Some of the insurance companies are going to group these into like a business policy. that's just kind of like an all encompassing policy. Some people are going to break it up into different actual policies. But the first thing that you want to look for is, um, errors and omissions insurance. Okay. This is the kind of insurance that people probably overlook the most. Uh, which is ironic because it is errors and omissions insurance. Um, And this is the kind of insurance that protects you if, let's say, you shoot a wedding and you deliver the product to the client and and the client says, I hate this, you're the worst videographer I've ever met. And you're like, wait a minute, no, no, I'm not. Like the product's like pretty good. You're like, oh, I wish I had gotten this one or two shots or whatever, but like overall the pretty, the, the video's like really good. And this, this has happened to people. Um, there was a famous case just last year where, um, and I saw the, I actually saw the wedding video that was in question. A bride just said like, this videographer did a terrible job. Anyway, it was obvious that this videographer did not do a terrible job. The video was awesome. I don't know what this lady was complaining about, but she was crazy and she sued the videographer. Errors and omissions insurance, errors and omissions in, I guess it's called E&O. That's, it's called E&O insurance and it's a little bit easier to say. So I'm going to just refer to it as that. Um, that way you guys don't have to listen to me, like stumble over my words here. Uh, E&O insurance 
If you have that, what's gonna happen is they're gonna sue you and then your insurance company is gonna come to your legal defense, right? They're gonna fund your, um, basically your legal defense for that case. Um, and so for me, it's like super important that I have that because even though I do a good job and I really try my best to always do the absolute best work that I can, there is a possibility that a client may not like what I do and they might be so upset and so emotionally distraught that I didn't deliver what, whatever it is that they thought that I was going to deliver, um, that they take legal action. And that would, I mean, for most of us, unless you have a ton of money somewhere to fund a legal defense, that's, that's a real nightmare. So for me, it's really important to have that for peace of mind, but also for my legal protection. Um, the other thing that can happen is you might go to a wedding and you might miss a very important part of the wedding, right? Like maybe, maybe your camera malfunctions or a microphone, you just forgot to turn it on. And I hate to admit it, but I've done that a couple times. <laughs> Uh, yes, I said a couple times. I don't want to talk about it, but <laughs> uh, actually, maybe I already have in a different podcast, but and maybe I will talk about it in the future. But uh, yeah, they, we're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes no matter how good you are. You know, I've done at least 130 weddings at this point, and I still make mistakes. Um, there's still things that I screw up, and it's super embarrassing. So have to go into this knowing that eventually you're going to screw up and most of my couples you know I've approached them and you know one time I I don't know what happened I like switched cards or something and I ended up losing the video part of the toasts right so I had all the audio because I was recording audio separate but I didn't have the video to go along with it and I was so embarrassed and I called the clients and I was like hey um First, I had like two glasses of wine before I called because I was like, I got to loosen up because I am like just sweating bullets here. Like I'm so embarrassed that this happened. And this this client, like the groom, I kind of thought was like a little bit of a groomzilla. Like just in the, not like he wasn't a jerk or anything. He was actually, turns out he's actually seems like a pretty nice dude. But you could tell like he was really into the wedding. Like this was like a really big deal to him. And usually it's like a big deal to the bride and stuff, but it seemed like it was a little bit more of a big deal to him. And so I was like super nervous to tell this guy that I lost this video. And uh, so I get him on the phone and I tell him and he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, man. Well, that's all right. He's like, I, uh, you know, he's like, I do some video stuff. And when I was in college, I lost this project that you know, me and a bunch of other kids worked on because I like screwed up with the hard drive or something like that. So he, he was like super understanding. And most of the other people that I've kind of screwed up something, like I missed a bouquet toss a few times or whatever, you know, people understand. And most, most of your clients are going to understand that stuff happens. They're going to understand that it's a live event and that you're under a lot of pressure and that things don't always go the way we plan or the way we want them to go. Um, so yeah, you know, most clients are going to be cool, but you just never know if you're going to get someone who's going to all of a sudden just lose their minds. And I, I certainly don't want to be on the other end of that. 
Um, so errors and omissions is the first type of insurance that you need to look into. The second is liability insurance. Um, let's say you're shooting a wedding at the Four Seasons Hotel and there's this really nice uh, this really nice painting on the wall and you walk by it and you knock it off the wall and it breaks and it's you find out that it's like a it's like a rare painting or something. It's it's worth like a hundred thousand dollars or something. You're gonna want to have that liability coverage, um, at least a million dollars. That's pretty standard for most businesses. Um, you're just gonna want to be insured for any sort of accident that might happen. If somebody trips and falls over your gear or a tripod that you left out or something like that, um, they're gonna sue you and they're gonna sue the venue and uh, you just want to have insurance for that stuff. Um, and the third kind of insurance that you can get is uh, basically like equipment insurance. Now, I know some people think that your equipment is covered as long as you're at home, um, which is true. Or some people think like, oh, I have a homeowner's policy, so my equipment is covered all the time. And that's not the case. It is covered when your equipment is at home, inside your house. But if you're out on a job shooting and somebody like steals a bag of your stuff and you try to go to your insurance company and make a claim uh, with just your homeowner's insurance policy uh, or your renter's insurance, uh, good luck with that because they're not going to honor that that uh, insurance claim because... They're going to say, well, you were working, so you really needed to have a business or commercial insurance policy for that stuff. So um, if you're wanting to protect your actual equipment from theft or, um, you know, I don't know. And you'd have to check with your insurance company. I don't know if they cover like drop, like a dropped camera or anything like that. Um, I don't think they cover me for that. If I drop a camera, it's kind of, I'm kind of on my own. But um, if somebody steals all my stuff, then, then they'll cover that. Uh, but you have to have, like I said, a business or a commercial policy in order for that stuff to be covered. So those are the three things that you should look at when it comes to insurance. Um, Charles here, he, he wants to know about tax savings. Um, I think I know what he's getting at there. I kind of wrote a, an article a while back at WeddingVideographySchool.com um, called How to Save for Taxes or something like that. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Maybe I didn't. Well, either way, um, I'll tell you right now exactly how I save for taxes. And it's a very straightforward and easy method for making sure that come tax time, you have paid all the money that you've owed. And hopefully you'll get just a little bit of money back at the end of the year. Um, when I get paid, so when I take a deposit or when somebody pays me the remaining balance on their account, what I do is I take 33% of that amount that's coming in. So if it's a deposit amount, I'll take 33% of that. If it's a final payment or maybe they're paying me everything that they owe me, right? It doesn't matter. Whatever money comes in, I take 33% of that money and I put it in uh, a tax savings account. Now, when I say a tax savings account, all that is is a bank account. It's a savings account. It doesn't really matter uh, what kind of, you could, I mean, you could put it into a checking account. It doesn't really matter. I would suggest a savings account because typically savings accounts have like 
a slightly higher interest rate than checking accounts. Um, I mean, you're not going to get rich from a savings account, but at least you're getting a little something out of it. Um, so I take, I take my money and I put it in that. And then four times a year, I make an estimated tax payment. Uh, you can set that up through the IRS website, uh, irs.gov. Just go on there and you can make estimated tax payments and they have a schedule. Uh, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but uh, there's four dates out of the year um, that you need to make your quarterly payments by, right? So any money that you make in quarter one uh, of the year needs to be paid by a certain date. Any money that you make uh, or any taxes that you owe off the money that you make that you made in quarter two needs to be paid by the next date and so on and so forth for Q3 and Q4. Um, so that's really how I do it. It's fairly simple. Um, yeah, I just, because I know I'm in a higher tax bracket. I'm in like the 28 percentile, the 28 percent tax bracket where they, they, they just tax me 28% of my income. And then on top of that, I need another 5% for Colorado state income tax. Right. Um, cause you don't want to get to the end of the year and be like, Oh, I paid all my federal taxes, but I still owe like five grand to whatever, you know, state you might be living in. Cause that sucks. And that's, that's how I learned about uh, state income tax, actually. <laughs> so now I just take 33%, and I know it's a big number. Uh, honestly, it was like the hardest thing I ever did was to start doing that, just literally taking that money out. Like, no matter if I was having a good week or a bad week, uh, a good year or a bad year, Financially, like that money was coming out and it didn't matter because guess what? The government knows and is going to find out if you're cheating them uh, and you don't want to be caught with your pants down on that front. So definitely take 33% of your income, put it in a savings account, and then make those estimated tax payments throughout the year. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, the last question that I'm going to hit on, um, I'll do two really quick because I'm getting close to my destination here. Um, well, you know what? I'll answer all his questions, but uh, I'll have to take a break here in a sec. Um, tax. No, we already did that. Credit card. I do not have a credit card for my business. You certainly can. Um, you know, if you want, you know, what I have is a debit card. And it's just tied to my business checking account, which to be honest, I co-mingle funds. I'm a sole proprietor right now. Um, I am going to transition my company into an S corporation uh, for tax purposes and for liability purposes. Uh, so I, I would suggest for anybody who's deciding whether you wanna be an LLC or an S corporation or whatever, like, whatever it is, or a sole proprietorship, I'd recommend just just go the S Corp route. Um, you're you're going to want to contact a business attorney to help you do that. Um, I guess LegalZoom, you could probably use LegalZoom to do it as well. I'm not super familiar with LegalZoom. Um, and me personally, I like to be able to ask a bunch of questions and like really, you know, have, like talk to somebody in person, like face to face. 
So I prefer to use an attorney for a lot of my legal stuff. I know you can do things a little bit cheaper online through sites like LegalZoom, but um, you know, I feel I just feel so much better. Maybe it's just a peace of mind thing, but I feel so much better when I actually have an attorney sitting in front of me, walking me through stuff. Um, so yeah, if you want to limit your liability, limit your tax uh, responsibility, your tax liability, then. S Corporation is definitely, uh, from what I've been told by an attorney, it is a good option for me. So there's a good chance it'll be a good option for you. But you'll wanna you'll wanna talk to somebody who knows more about that and get their professional opinion, uh, because I am not uh, a lawyer. Um, but yeah, I I commingle funds right now. Everybody says don't do it. You can't do it. Blah blah blah. But you actually can do it when you're a sole proprietor. Um, the government does not care if your business funds are commingled with your personal funds um, because the government looks at uh, you and your business as the exact same thing, uh, which isn't great for your income tax liability. Um, I'm hoping to knock my, my tax liability down a bit when I become an S corporation. But uh, for now, I don't have a business credit card, but I'm sure that I will probably consider that uh, once I become uh, an S corporation um, or an LLC. If you want to become an LLC, you're also going to want to keep your your funds separate. Uh, So that is the answer to that question. And I'm going to hop out of the car real quick. And when I get back, I will continue answering Charles Lewis's questions. Alrighty, I am back in the car. I got Henry in the back seat here. Say, hey, buddy. We're still working on the uh, talking here. Oh, there you go. Yeah, let let out a little squeak, man. Let everybody hear your little voice. Um, All right, so we just answered some questions by Charles Lewis, and we got a couple more here to go. Uh, The next question he has is uh, when to take payment. Um, So if you book somebody, when should you collect payment? When I take payment, I typically take a 50% deposit at the time of booking. um, And I usually give the couple two weeks to pay. Um, But if I know the couple's gonna pay me and it's just taking them like a little while to get the money together, I'll I'll usually give them like 30 days, um, but anything beyond that, and I'm just such a lenient guy. I know some people are out there are like, 30 days? That's stupid. What if somebody else wants to book you? Um, it is first come, first serve, so whoever signs in the contract and pays the invoice first is who I take. Um, I have had to like shoot an email to someone and be like, hey, I know I sent this stuff out to you, but somebody else booked me. Um, You know, because I I sent out a contract and deposit invoice once, and this person did not book me for, like, basically two or three months or something crazy like that. Um, And so I had to just take it on another wedding with a couple who was way more responsive and way more prompt. Um... But I, in that situation, I just gave them a recommendation for another videographer that I knew that was free that day. Um, and so they ended up hiring that guy to do it. Um, 
So it all kind of worked out in the end. But yeah, I mean, if people aren't paying you, you just kind of got to move on to the next one and accept whoever books you first. Um, but yeah, for the deposit, I give people generally about two weeks. Most people don't have a problem making the payment within the first week or so after they sign the contract. And um, yeah, when I collect the remaining balance, it's typically one week before the wedding. Uh, that's when I set the due date on the invoice for, for the remaining balance. Um, I use a program, or it's not really a program, but it's an online sort of software, cloud, uh, CRM software that's basically uh, helps you manage your contracts, your clients, um, and all that kind of stuff. So another question that Charles has is uh, home office or question mark. So... <laughs> I guess that means home office or a com like rent an office space, a commercial office space. Um, I do not rent a commercial office. Um, I am not really big on renting office space. I think that most of us can probably get by without it. I am, I've talked about this before and I think there's a post on WVS, on the WVS website uh, about this. I'm just really a big fan of cutting expenses. I'm a really big believer that a dollar saved is a dollar earned. Uh, meaning, if you don't have to go out and spend a dollar on something, then you're basically, you make money when you keep money, essentially, right? Like, what good is it to make a bunch of money but then go out and spend it all? Like, it doesn't really make sense to me. And like, people who have a substantial amount of wealth and, um, you know, people who you might call rich, they, uh, they do not go out and spend all their money. Keeping their money is way more important to them than making money. I mean, I think making money is important to them, but uh, the wealthy have a really keen ability to keep their money. So, for me, if I... If I, I just look at offices as such a waste. If you have a really big like wedding videography business that you're running where you have a bunch of employees and all this stuff, then I think it's fine. Um, but if it's just you and like one other person and you're doing all these weddings and making a good amount of money, like why go and blow a bunch of money on an office? Like, I mean, you might as well just get a nicer house or something or a nicer apartment and live and work out of that apartment, um, you know. And I don't really do any meetings uh, in person anymore every once in a while, but it's pretty rare. And usually if I do a meeting in person, it's in Denver um, or, you know, somewhere outside of where I actually live. And most people want to meet over drinks or something anyway. So, you know, I've got a great little home office that I love, um, but it doesn't really make sense for me to uh, rent. It just doesn't make sense to add another expense. Uh, so I appreciate that question. That's a good one. Um, marketing. Um, marketing, I really feel like I kind of touched on the marketing stuff in the SEO podcast I did, but... I'll touch on it here a little bit. 
Mm, I think it just depends on where you're at in your business, right? I think a lot of marketing can be, and I know some people are going to disagree with me on this and that's okay, but I think a lot of marketing can honestly be avoided. Like really you don't even need to do it if you have great SEO. If your website is ranking on the first page of Google, um, especially if you're in the like top one, two or three brackets, like you're going to do really well. Um, you're going to get a lot of inquiries. And if you're handling those inquiries right and you're writing your emails correctly um, and responding to your potential prospects in a timely manner and your prices are reasonable and all of that stuff and your work is good, you're not going to have a hard time finding clients. If you are having a hard time finding clients, you're missing the mark somewhere. Usually means your, your pricing is off or maybe the way you're communicating in your emails is off, or maybe maybe your product isn't where it needs to be at yet. Um, it could be a number of different things, but I typically find uh, for me that um, marketing is just not a priority for me. Um, and that really comes with having great SEO. So I would say before you focus on marketing, focus on SEO. I think it's just absolutely the most important, most critical thing uh, that you can do to grow your business. Uh, Another good question, Charles. Thanks for that. Um, How much social media and where? Well, I'll be honest. Like I've really slacked off in terms of social media. Um, You know, I think I updated my Facebook page like once this season. Um, I'm trying to get a little bit better with Instagram. I actually really like Instagram a little bit better. I feel like all my brides, when I go and bridesmaids, when I go to these weddings, these girls, like during the, when I'm shooting like prep stuff and I'm hanging out with all these girls, they're all on Instagram. I mean, some of them are on Facebook doing a little bit of Facebook stuff, but Man, Facebook just kind of makes me think of my mother-in-law. Like, she loves Facebook. Um, You know, a lot of older people love Facebook. But I feel like most girls that are getting married, um, they're all on Instagram. They they love Instagram. I like Instagram. It's super simple. Um, It's really easy to post stuff on there, too, which, I mean, means I really have no excuse for not doing it. I, I don't do it as much as I should. Um... I guess ideally, if I were to uh, be posting as much as I should, I would probably say at least post something once a week Um, and make it something really good, right? Because you don't want to be the person that goes on Instagram and posts like six six photos in a day and they all are just kind of crappy. Like, I'd rather see one good photo from you or one good post. And this goes for Facebook or whatever social media platform you want to talk about. I'd rather see one good thing per week versus a couple lame things like every other day, right? So just really, like, unless you have something good or interesting or cool to say or post, just, I would just refrain from from posting. Don't post just to post. Um come up with something something interesting um but 
as far as social media goes, man, I am really not a good example for that kind of stuff. And I, it, I don't really feel particularly comfortable talking about it just because I don't, I don't feel like I'm very good at it. Um, so yeah, I think there's some people out there who could probably, who could probably answer that question a little bit better than me. Um, Charles wants to know, are there opportunities to edit for others? Um, I think there's definitely a market for editing for other people. Um, I've been actually getting a few emails from a few different um, companies, I guess. I haven't really looked into them that much, but I've gotten some emails from places like Tower Studios or what's another one? I'm, I'm blanking on the other companies. Um, Tower Studios is getting a little free promotion here, I guess where basically you send off your footage on a hard drive. I think one of these places now has an FTP I saw recently. So now you just upload all your footage and they send you like, they edit like a highlight reel or something for you. Um, and it seemed reasonably priced. It was like a couple hundred bucks or like a few hundred bucks or something. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not gonna do it most likely. Uh, at least not at this point. I haven't really, I don't, I don't think I've really adapted my business model for something like that. Um, in terms of like, if I would use that service, but certainly if you want to edit for others, um, there's definitely a market for it. What I would do is I would reach out to videographers in your area where you're located and just say, Hey, uh, my name is, you know, Charles and I've got, um, I've got some editing skills. Here's my, here's like the last three videos that I did. If you want to see more, I can provide you with those. Um, you know, here's what I charge, uh, per video to edit. Uh, let me know if you have any questions, that sort of thing. I think you could, you might be able to make some connections that way. Um, you know, I have had people ask me if I want to edit stuff. Um, and I usually turn people down just because usually what they're paying isn't really worth it to me. Um, cause you know, they're, they're trying to make money on their end, but the only way they can really make money is if they underpay you a lot of the time. So most of the time I'm not like super interested in doing that. And also like editing isn't like my favorite thing to do just cause it's time consuming. Um, but shooting isn't really my favorite thing to do either. So <laughs> I, I think my favorite thing about what I do is not wedding videography itself. It's just being an entrepreneur and not having a boss and having flexibility and being free to make as much money as I want to make um, and building a business. Like all of that stuff I love, right? I really like the business side of things. I really like... Um, the mental side of things like why do we do the things that we do and like how can we make ourselves better as people and as workers and um, as entrepreneurs like that's what I that's the kind of stuff that I really like to do so you know when somebody asked me to edit um, there's only like one or two people that I would really even consider editing for um, and they they pay a decent rate and I can get it I can get that stuff done pretty quick so um, so yeah, I, I would consider it for, for a couple people, but if you want to get out there and edit, 
there's definitely a demand for it. So I think you could, I think you could definitely make money doing that. Um, I have a full-time job and want to add part-time work. Okay. That goes along with the editing part. Um, yeah, he, Charles wants, his last question here is, uh, are there good websites to check out that help videographers find work or help educate? Um, well, obviously, <laughs> weddingvideographyschool.com is a pretty dope website, if I do say so myself. Uh, working on getting some more posts up, um, but right now the podcast is kind of more of my priority. Um, but I will be um, doing some pretty exciting things. Um, it might be too soon to say this, but I do believe that I'm par- partnering up with another local videographer here in the uh, in good old Colorado, uh, to help me get more posts going, but also, uh, develop a, a, a training program. So, um, hopefully we'll be able to roll that out to you guys soon. Um, but yeah, so keep your eye on my website. There are a few other websites, I think wedfilmschool.com, uh, or maybe .org. I'm not sure which one it is. To be honest, I really haven't looked, uh, for other, websites so your google search is as good as mine but i think web film school uh is what it's called and uh, i think they have a decent amount of posts and information on their website as well so you might want to check them out and i think they might also have a podcast and they do like a bunch of interviews and stuff which is really cool um i'd like to do a lot more interviews i know that's something you guys want um and me rambling is it's getting old for everybody so uh including me so i'd love to get some guests on the podcast um but mainly i would really like to just answer your guys's questions as they come in so if you guys want more podcasts please just shoot me more questions and that'll really help me get the ball rolling on the podcast um uh yeah so last couple quick things if you haven't checked out WeddingVideographySchool.com, there's a couple good articles on there that you might find useful. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do that. Uh, just go into your iTunes podcast app and hit the subscribe button. Um, it really helps out the podcast. And what helps out this podcast even more is if you go and leave me a review. Uh, five-star review, folks. That's what I'm looking for here. Five stars guy get these five star reviews it really helps the show really helps me out when you guys do that um again this is a free podcast so anything that you guys can do to help support this would be fantastic and right now all i'm really asking is that you leave me a five star review um and listen i don't care if you want to promote your business in the review if you want me to give you a shout out maybe i'll start reading reviews um on the podcast but if you want to give me a shout out i'm uh, with your business and your website and all that kind of stuff. I'm more than happy to let you guys do that and promote yourself online to other people too. I, um, I really don't care as long as I get those five stars, that's what it's all about. So, uh, and you know, at the end of the day, there was, when I was starting out, there just wasn't this information. There were no podcasts. There was no WVS. There was no web film school. There was nothing like that. Um, there might have been like a really like crappy book somewhere at a Barnes and Noble, like one copy of like how to shoot 
how to be a wedding photographer or something, but there was nothing really on wedding videos that I could find. And I just kind of learned from watching others and looking at other videos and seeing how people were kind of, you know, making music videos that were centered around weddings. So, um, you know, I, I really wish that I had had something like this um, when I was starting out. It would have been super helpful. So now that you guys have something like this, um, I'd love to keep it going. And I, I just need your support in order to, to keep doing that. And right now, all I'm, at, all I'm asking for is those five-star reviews. So until next time, uh, get out there, shoot a bunch of stuff, have a great season, and please send me your questions. Hey guys, this episode of Wedding Videography School is brought to you by Photographers Wearing Wide Brim Hats. Uh, Photographers Wearing Wide Brim Hats is the nation's number one wedding photography company, and for good reason. Uh, They are clearly the most creative, most unique uh, individuals out there, and their photography is so creative, I can't even begin to describe how creative it is. That's how creative it is. If you guys are working with photographers who aren't wearing wide brim hats, then you're probably not working with the best photographers out there. So, um, you know, whether you're having a wedding, a birthday party, uh, or you're taking your kids to school or you're hanging out at home or going to the bathroom, you know, all things that you want photographed creatively, um, it should be done by photographers wearing wide brim hats. A lot of you guys, I know you're working with photographers who aren't wearing wide brim hats. They might not be wearing hats at all. And um, that's a problem. If they're not wearing a wide brim hat, I don't know what the point of them even picking up a camera is. But when you work with photographers wearing wide brim hats, you know that you're always getting someone who's going to uh, give you the most incredible shots that you could imagine. So for your next event, whether It's a wedding, a birthday party, a family reunion, uh, your mom's pap smear. Whatever the event, make sure that you hire photographers wearing wide brim hats um, to get the most creative still images captured, you know, one frame at a time. And that's that's what photography is. It's, you know, you hear the click, click, and you know you got one frame. And then you hear another click. Sometimes you hear eight clicks in a row, like click, 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 click. Uh, that, they just got eight pictures. And maybe one of them is good. Probably not. But the photographer wearing a wide brim hat, they are going to pull those photos later on and you know, really, really select the eight or six shots that they got from the entire day. Um, that they stood in front of the videographer to get, and they're gonna they're gonna edit those down into something truly magical. Probably, um, probably just two eight by tens that you can put in the living room next to the closet door. So give photographers with wide brim hats a call today and book them for your next event.